Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Now, here's your host. Good morning and welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is uh, Joe Rusiello, and I have the distinct privilege of being your host and your Bible teacher for the, uh, I guess, the next hour or so. Uh, So, if you would, take your Bibles, and if you don't have one, you can just listen carefully. But if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts in chapter 4. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I believe in the King James Bible, so I put a great deal of emphasis on the Bible. I believe that the Bible is worthy of our acknowledgement and of our study. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. You know, we live in a society and in a country that's come to a place where the Bible's under constant attack. It's criticized, it's beleaguered, it's talked about in such a way that's belittling. And, you know, we have a system here in America that I think every American would appreciate if they were under the gun of the law. And we call it innocent until proven guilty. Now, if you were in a courthouse standing trial, wouldn't you appreciate that measure of consideration on your behalf? I know I would. Innocent until proven guilty. And you know, the Bible's been around a a whole lot longer than any of us have. The Bible's withstood the test of time and the test of criticism. So don't you think that uh, just because we're good Americans, we're patriots, that the the Bible deserves the uh, same acknowledgement and consideration? Wouldn't you think that? innocent until proven guilty. You know, I say to people who point an accusatory finger at the Bible, well, why don't you just go and prove it guilty? Why don't you go do that? You know, there were a lot of men over the centuries and over over the years that have, uh, and and through the process, have become believers. You know, the more they studied it, the more they said, you know, this book really does know what it's talking about. Now we're over in Acts chapter 4, and let's begin in verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Now Peter here is going to have something pretty extraordinary to say. So we better listen. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Now you see, Peter has just been the vehicle of a great miracle in the life of a man. And this is what he's referring to. Uh, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now notice in this text that salvation is connected not only to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but his resurrection. All right, would you go over with me to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10, the next book over. That should be pretty easy to find, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, the apostle says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
Now, I want you to notice once again that not only does Peter connect the resurrection with salvation, but so does Paul. Raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's just the next book over. I'm trying to make it easy for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this will be our last text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. So this is the gospel that Paul is preaching, and he's about to define it for us. By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now look down in verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. So in other words, everything that we hinge our faith upon, the very cornerstone of our faith is built upon the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to take a minute here and just listen to a really good song and then we'll come back and we'll get more into this study. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but has given us the strength to Hey. 
All right. It's a great song, wasn't it? That was a great song. Well, let's pray. Father, would you add your blessings to the reading and the examination of your holy word? Lord, you have declared that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I pray for each and every individual under the sound of my voice that lacks affirmation, that confirmation in their mind, in their life, and in their heart, that today would be a wonderful day of turnaround for them. That it would be a day in which they would acknowledge and realize and come to an unfettered understanding that knowledge of forgiveness of sins and eternal life is entirely possible. And God is offering it to them this day. We thank you for the message of salvation in your word. And it is in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Well, in just a little bit, I'm going to make a further application to the resurrection. But uh, we need to begin with what necessitated the resurrection. What necessitated the resurrection. Have you, based upon the scriptures that we just read, have you been saved? Well, I think that's a legitimate question. Have you been saved? Now, that invokes all kinds of emotions in people. You know, why are so many people offended by that question? You know, some are. You know, they get all fired up, you know. Well, what do you mean by asking me that? And we'll explore it, and we'll explore that. But there's an absolute answer to that question. Can we really know that we're saved? Now, as you can see by the verses I read to you, that that's not a word that um, a foaming at the mouth, crazy, wild, you know, wild-eyed Baptist preacher invented. That's a Bible word. God inserted the word saved, salvation. Can I know? Well, let's look over in 1 John and chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And let's resolve that before we go any further. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 the Bible says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. All right, now as far as God is concerned, it's cast in concrete. It's an absolute record. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, I frequently refer to this verse when people tell me that the Bible's hard to understand. And I want you to capture this. Just think about this. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Did you notice that every word in that verse is a one-syllable word? Every word. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now, honestly, I would not admit to, any, admit to anyone that I was so uneducated that I couldn't understand a verse that was all one-syllable words. I mean, folks, come on, that's pretty simple. Amen? That's pretty much right down where the cow can get the cabbage, right? And that's it. That's it, man. That's it. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. No. K-N-O-W, know, absolutely confirmed. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're saved. 
you know, I've, I've visited and I've spoken with a lot of people over the 20 years that I've been saved and serving the Lord. And I've asked that question many, many times. Have you ever been saved? Well, I hope so. Well, hope so isn't no so. Have you been saved? Well, I'm trying. Trying isn't no so. Have you been saved? Well, I'm working on it. Working on it isn't knowing. In other words, you must not be on the same page that God is. Now, what do we mean by salvation? You know, the most primitive man understands the need to pacify a force that's greater than himself. You can go to some of the most primitive societies and cultures in the back end of the Amazon and clear back into the Aborigines of Australia and in Africa and, and, and who knows where else, and all of them have something dedicated in their religious societal structure that is directed towards pacifying a greater force than they are. Now, some could say, well, you know, they're just uneducated. They don't know any better. Isn't it a tragedy that so many people educate themselves out of the idea of salvation? Have we done ourselves any favor by doing that? Now, what do we mean by salvation? Well, God isn't interested presently in saving your body. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's falling apart. You know, if God saved your body, then you wouldn't ache when you get out of bed. You know, you wouldn't stumble to the coffee pot. Isn't that right? No, God didn't save the body. The body is still waiting its, its salvation in Romans chapter 8. What God is interested in saving is your soul. Now, your soul is the part of you that's eternal, and it will live forever. There's another word that the Bible uses to describe your soul, and it's the word ghost. Now, I was drinking my coffee this morning after I stumbled my way over to the coffee pot. And I had the news on TV, and I only got bits of it, but they were interviewing some lady who had written a book about ghosts. And she's seen ghosts and apparitions and so on. And she went around collecting information and found that there are thousands of people that have shared similar experiences in her estimation. So, so she wrote a book about it. And, you know, the book will become popular and they'll sell lots of copies of it. And, and people have certain interest in ghosts, not realizing that God addressed the whole scenario thousands of years ago. There's something inside of you that looks like you. The psalmist said, my soul cleaveth to the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Your soul is like an inner tube inside your body. Now, there are one of two possibilities or possible alternatives at death. Your soul is either stuck to the body and pays for the consequences of the sin of the flesh, or it's set free because of an operation that only God could perform on that, and that's recorded in Colossians chapter 2. So you have an eternal soul that will live forever. You know, back over in Genesis 35, when Rachel was dying, the Bible says when Rachel was dying, and then in parenthesis, it says, for her soul was in departing. You know, there were some Swedish scientists several years ago that quite, got quite fascinated with what actually transpired at that precise moment of death. So with the consent of some terminally ill, some terminally Ill patients, they wheeled them when they were anticipated, uh, when they anticipated them dying, onto an extremely sensitive scale. Amazingly, amazingly, at the moment of death, when they breathed that last breath and they flatlined, they instantaneously lost weight. 
about 23 grams on the average. In other words, something leaves. Well, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. Well, it's your soul. You have an eternal soul which houses your mind, your body, and your will. It's the soul that's the object of salvation. Jesus said, For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Don't lose your soul. You can be as rich as a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett, but don't lose your own soul. You never have and you never will see a U-Haul truck in a funeral procession. You can accumulate all the world's goods and lose your own soul. Well, save from what? How about that? Save from what? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Saved from the consequences of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now rather than make arguments against hell, wouldn't it make more sense to make preparations to avoid it? Well, that just makes sense to me. You know, the Bible may be right. I mean, wouldn't it be something to get into eternity and find out that that old Dr. Slickjaw was wrong and the Bible was right? Well, there's a logic connected with salvation. And if I can, let me present it to you. Wouldn't it be safe to suggest, I mean, really, I mean, really genuinely safe to suggest that there is no God? Now, I have a watch, okay? And you can't see it, obviously, but I have a watch. It's a nice watch, you know? And I was sitting in my house studying one day, and all of a sudden, all the parts of this watch just uh, crept under the door, piece by piece. And miraculously, they started to put themselves together, gear by gear, piece by piece, until it came together into this intricately balanced watch. Now, Honestly, how many of you believe that? How many of you believe that this watch magically, mysteriously, miraculously appeared piece by piece and put itself together? Well, nobody, I hope. Now, wouldn't you think that the possibility of this watch doing that is a bazillion times greater than this entire universe doing that? Well, then there must be some divine wisdom behind all this creation. So would it be safe to assume that there is no God? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I wouldn't assume that position whatsoever. Now, if there is, if there is a God, would it be reasonable to think that since we're here and evidently of his creation, that he would have some interest in the human race? Well, I would think that's a reasonable assumption. He must have some interest in us, in you as an individual. Jesus said that God knows when a tiny sparrow falls to the ground. So if God knows that, there must be some concern on his part about us. So now the next question in this series of logic is, then, can we hold him responsible for our dilemma? But don't answer that yet. Don't answer that yet. It's not a trick question. But you have to think about it for a minute. So you might be saying to yourself, well, what's our dilemma? Well, our dilemma is sin. 
Sin has put us in a situation where we're alienated from God. We're separated from God. And we need some kind of a reconciling solution. That's what we need. Now, since we found ourselves in this dilemma, now just think this through. Since we found ourselves in this dilemma, and if the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation, and every verse in it is, in, is, and every verse in it is correct, and I believe it is, but whether you believe it or not, if the Bible is even partially true or remotely true, and Adam fell because of his disobedience, and he passed that bad DNA onto all of us, and he did, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You and I inherit really bad DNA. And you know how that manifests itself? We all die. For the wages of sin is death. I mean, this is just simple Bible logic. Well, God knowing everything, God being omnipotent, God looking down upon us said, I know that those rascals are going to sin and because of my holiness, I have to hold them responsible for it. So we find ourselves kind of wallowing around in a slew of misery. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Can't, can't we hold God responsible? And the answer is yes. Now all of you are probably sitting there thinking, what? Are you crazy? No, we can't do that. We can't point an accusing finger at God. I mean, that would really be putting us on thin ice. We can't do that. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can say, God, you did it to us. Except for one thing. For one thing. If God provides a solution, if God provides a remedy, we can no longer hold him responsible. And he did provide a remedy, did he not? He said, now here you are, you bunch of sinners. Here you are, and I'm going to provide a remedy. But I'm not going to violate your free will. I'm going to let you choose. That remedy is going to be embodied in the person of my dear son, Jesus Christ. That's the remedy right there. So can God absolve himself from all responsibility? Yes. And he did. And he did. Now, why are so many offended by the question, are you saved? Well, number one, it, it implies that there's something wrong with the individual. I mean, who really appreciates being told there's something wrong with you, right? I mean, I don't like that, do you? No one really wants to hear that there's something wrong with them. But the very essence of salvation, the very thought behind salvation, the very ingredients that, that comprise salvation indicate that there's something wrong with us. It suggests that they need help with a problem that extends beyond their own capacity. So in other words, salvation in biblical language indicates that there's something that needs to be done and I don't have what it takes to get the thing fixed. I can't do it on my own. It's clear that the perfect 
must fix the imperfect. Let me say that one more time. It's clear that the perfect must fix the imperfect. And in all of history, I've only found one candidate. Jesus Christ is the candidate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the one that can fix Mr. Imperfect right here. Now, isn't it interesting that when you, you visit with people about these kind of spiritual issues, that, that one of the most common responses you get when you ask, are you saved? Or do you think you're a sinner? Is, well, no one's perfect. That's usually the answer you get. Well, man, you kind of nailed that one on the head. We're a million times from it, aren't we? As it is written, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. But now why is it that when you visit with folks, I mean, did you ever hear the phrase, did you get religion? Did you get religion? <clears throat> that little phrase or question never, ever invokes as much resentment as, are you saved? Now think about that for a minute. You see, religion is man-made. Religion is man-made and consequently it suggests that man could fix the problem. But man can't fix the problem. Therefore, religion can't fix the problem. So when someone says, did you get religion? That just doesn't make folks as irate and turned all inside out and upside down as, have you been saved? That really fires up a response. You see, salvation is God-made. Salvation is God-made. See, many years ago, there was a man that was convicted of murdering two young boys, and he was sentenced to death. And by and by, a guard on death row in the prison, uh, who was a Christian, had an opportunity to speak with this condemned man. And over a period of several months, he witnessed to him, and he witnessed to him, and allegedly, allegedly, the man bowed his head, and he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Well, somewhere along the line, you know, the news media found out about this, and they interviewed him, and he said, yes, I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe that God has forgiven me. Man, you wouldn't believe the letters that were written about that. Folks from all across that state were irate and absolutely indignant at the idea that our murderer could be forgiven and go to heaven. I mean, it really, really rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way. In that interview with the media, the man said, I did it, I'm guilty, I'm on death row, and I deserve to die. I'm willing to pay the price for my crime. And he said, but I also believe, based on the Bible, that when I die, I will be immediately transported to heaven because of the finished work and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, people were just doing backflips because of that. Well, that can't be. That can't be. And if God would take someone like that to heaven, then I don't want to go to heaven, blah, 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 and on and on and on. Now, in your mind, work with me, Okay. Just work with me on this. Let's fast forward, say, 40 years. That condemned man has been subjected to every kind of uh, psychological test and profile known to man. He's been the model prisoner for 40 years. He took advantage of all the educational programs that are offered. Uh, he now has uh, two bachelor's degrees and one master's degree and a Ph.D., and because of that, he's been accelerated on up through, the, through man's system as he's as he has been finally deemed rehabilitated 40 years later. The parole board decides to let him out on parole. 
Now, do you think that there would nearly be the same objection, the same flap? Well, no, of course not, because the man, because of man's system, man's system has prevailed. Look at what a wonderful job we did. And so it is when so many sinners look at their own lives and say, look at what I have done. Look at what my religion has done. And God never really enters into the equation. Salvation is God-made, not man-made. Man cannot do it. Man cannot do it. All right, we're going to, over 20 minutes already, so we're going to take a short break here, just get a quick song in, and then we'll come back. This is uh, Joe Ruscello and the Sword of the Spirit podcast. And we'll be right back. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee are the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, great song wasn't it i think so it was a great song this is the sword of the spirit and i'd like to welcome you back um so let me ask you this uh what keeps people from being saved what keeps people from being saved well one thing is pride 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 prevents them from not admitting the problem and there is a problem and the problem is me you know, there's a great old hymn that goes, It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my father or my mother, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You see, I'm the problem. Right here. Me. I'm the problem. You want to look at the you want to look at the problem? Just take a look in the mirror. Dr. Ruckman used to say, um, uh, that every morning he wakes up and he would look in the mirror and he would say, What are you up to anyway? 
an unwillingness to seriously contemplate the future without salvation. Some people just aren't willing to think about the long-term future and what the future would be without salvation. Then finally, some people are just unwilling to give something up. Now, this isn't required. You know, God doesn't require you to give up anything for salvation, but it may be expected. And some people are just, you know, well, well, boy, that sounds just a little bit too hard. But let me ask you, what are you holding on to that's worth going to hell for? Think about that. What are you holding on to that's worth going to hell for? If you're honest, I can't think of anything. So now circling the wagons and coming back to my last point, why is Christ's resurrection so essential? Why is it so essential? Because in the verses that we've studied, Christ's resurrection and salvation are intertwined. They're integrated. They're synchronized. They're connected. You cannot separate one from the other. Well, why is Christ's resurrection essential? Well, first, the power of the res- of resurrection is absent in us. It's absent. I don't have that kind of power. Now, I met a man several years ago that was a former Air Force jet pilot. And he flew B-52s. And that must have been an incredible amount of power to lift those things loaded with bombs off the ground. But there is no power on this planet. There's no power that man has ever designed or contemplated that can take him out of the grave. I could not stop a funeral procession and raise the dead, but Jesus did. Can you imagine? Just one time, just for fun. I kind of wish I had that power, right? That would be kind of a kick. You know, here comes a funeral procession and you just kind of get in front of the whole thing and you just stop, 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 open up that hearse. Roll that casket out. I say unto thee, Arise! I mean, all I do is make a fool out of myself. But Jesus did it. I don't have the power to go into the home of a little 12-year-old girl who passed away, whose daddy was a ruler in the synagogue, and say, I say unto thee, Tabitha, arise. But Jesus did. I don't have the power to stand in the face of a grave, a tomb where someone has been interred for four days, and cry out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And all of a sudden, here he comes, bound like a mummy in grave clothes, floating out. But Jesus does. So if I want that kind of power for the future, I guess the best thing for me to do is to somehow ride on his coattails, get hooked into him, experience his power that may be manifested someday in my life. And then there's something else. Without the resurrection, let's look look back with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read there a little bit ago, but this is the resurrection chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this whole chapter is about resurrections. It's a great chapter. People say that the Bible's hard to read, yeah, it's got, it's got 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> no big deal. One church I visited had a bunch of third grade school kids that, could, that memorized that whole chapter. They stood up and they quoted it, every verse of it. It's not hard. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Look down at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit corrupt incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no escape from corruption. No escape from it. Now, I don't know if you deem yourself corruptible, but I've got really bad news for you. You are. And if you don't believe it, just don't take a bath for a week. You'll find out how corruptible you are. We all are. There's no escape from it. And the older we get, the more, the more we sense all the disadvantages of getting older. You know, my grandmother uh, passed away a few months ago. And I remember talk, talking to her on her 95th birthday. And she told me, don't get old. Like there's an alternative, right? I mean, the older we get, the more we discover our corruptibility. And folks, there's no escape from it. If Jesus, if there's no escape from it, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because hell is a place of utter and absolute corruption. That's what it is. Just total, insane, incredibly awful corruption. There would never be an escape from it if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But since he did, I can escape my final corruption. We don't only see corruption in ourselves, but in everything around us. I mean, do you ever get sick of politicians lying to you? And that's just corruption. That's exactly what that is. That's corruption on a political level, but we see corruption everywhere on every level of society. And then finally, there's no hope of a final victory. No hope of a final victory. Well, you say a victory over what? Look with me over in verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the teaching on the verse that we just read. Okay, implausible as it may seem to you, as incredible as you may receive it. This is what the Bible says. One day the Lord is going to blow a trumpet. And it's going to be a loud one. It's going to be accompanied by a great voice coming over the banister of glory. And that voice is going to say, like in Song of Solomon, come up hither. And there's going to be graves all over the world that are going to, that are going to open up. They're going to split open like a ripe melon. And folks are going to be leaving those. And that which is corruptible instantaneously is going to be changed to that which is incorruptible. The mortal shall be changed to the immortal. Boom. Just like that. That quick. You say, Joe, you really believe that? Preacher, you really believe that? Yes, I do believe that. I absolutely believe that. 
There is no final victory without the resurrection. Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus. And this is one of my favorite illustrations. Uh, there was a man by the name of Dr. S.M. Lockridge, and he used to say this, The reason why the Lord Jesus stood at the head of the tomb of Lazarus and cried out, Lazarus, come forth, is because if he hadn't used Lazarus' name, every corpse within 50 miles would have come out of the grave. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about power. Power. When you stop to think about it, Death couldn't survive in the presence of Jesus Christ. When you come to think about it, every person that Jesus raised from the dead, he addressed them personally. Their name, their situation, their person. It wasn't a broad, sweeping generality. It was you arise. You come out of the grave. And so it is that the Lord would say to you today, as an individual, not corporately, not a big great sweeping generality but you I would save you I would forgive you and all you have to do is trust him trust him well how do I do that well we read a verse that said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved thou shalt be saved now, important question. Have you ever been saved? Well, preacher, I hope so. No, no, wait a minute. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, what happens at salvation is God gives you such an affirmation that the Holy Spirit of God moves into you and there is a no-so element that instantly enters into your soul, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You know what my prayer is here for you? My prayer is that when you turn off this audio and you stop listening, that you stop listening, that, that you don't you don't shut down without the without that knowledge. I don't want you walking away without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior as a very personal part of your life right here inside the savior of your soul the redeemer of your spirit that's our bible commission you know jesus said go ye into all the world and so this is our world right here and you're a part of our world and we want you to have that knowledge Well, that's, the, that's all the time we have for uh, this episode of our podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening. I look forward to uh, seeing you all here again. If you have any questions, uh, if you'd like to drop me an email, that's fine. You could send me an email at joe at ephesians516.org. That would be joe at ephesians516.org. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening. May God bless you richly. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast with Brother Joe Rusiello. Feel free to email any questions or comments you may have to joe at ephesians516.org. May God bless you and good day.